My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, protective, unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, extraordinary. I recall when my mom was tucking me in that night, I, in a very rude tone, said to her, you're not my real mom, which coming from your seven-year-old who loved you so much before leaving, that's, um... A really harsh thing to hear. It's a rude awakening. This is Our Mothers Ourselves, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. A few months ago, I read a story in The Atlantic written by Barbara Bradley Haggerty. It was about divorce, which is very common. It's also common for divorcing parents to drive a wedge between their children and their ex. But Barbara Haggerty's story was about a truly horrifying phenomenon called parental alienation. When a parent goes all out to make a child hate or fear and completely reject the other parent. Parental alienation is a phenomenon that's far more common than you'd think, shockingly. One of the offspring featured in the Atlantic story was named Olivia. The parents divorced when Olivia was seven and her brother was nine. And over the years, their father waged what a judge eventually called an all-out campaign to alienate both kids from their mother. He convinced them she was addicted to prescription drugs, that she didn't care about them, that she had befriended a serial killer and knew where the body was buried. It took years and the intervention of the courts to get the kids to understand that their mother was none of those things. I recently spoke with Olivia, whose name is changed to protect her identity. As you listen, you'll understand why. Olivia, thank you so much for coming on to Our Mothers Ourselves to talk to me about what sounds like um, a pretty harrowing time in your life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and just to chat with you. So before we jump into the whole thing, I understand that you have a restraining order against your dad. Is that right? Yep, that's true. I've had a restraining order with him for a few years now. And do your brother and mother also have their own separate restraining orders against him? Yes, they both do. And as we get deeper into this, that will become clear why that was necessary. I'd like to start by asking you if you had just one word to describe your mother, what would that word be? I think the one word I would use for her is strong. Good. Yeah. So keep that word in mind. I'm sure it'll come up later. Well, let's dive right in and talk about your early childhood and describe your your mother very briefly to me and your father. Just give me a brief rundown of their backgrounds and how old they both were when they had you or did they have your brother first. So just give me a little rundown on that. So my parents met while they were at work. They were both actually at a protest at their job, and that's when they met each other. And um, my brother was born. He wasn't planned or anything, but eventually they decided to get married due to that. And a couple of years later, I came along. And so we were a family of four, and, you know, 
my dad came from a more conservative family. My mom was definitely a bit more open-minded. They had some cultural differences and just different values, so they didn't always see eye to eye on everything. What do you mean by cultural differences? So I would say, you know, my mom has more of a South Asian upbringing, more traditional in that sense, but she traveled when she was younger and she's seen more of the world and has, I think, she's more open-minded to a lot of things, more progressive. Whereas, you know, my dad lived more of a sheltered life in a smaller town with parents who, you know, were raised with a lot of trauma and experienced a lot of that in their life, which was passed down to him as well. So that definitely had an impact on the dynamic that was shared between my parents in my early life. Mm. So he kind of had this inherited trauma from his parents. And how old were they when, when they started having kids? So my mom was 31 when my brother was born. He's two years older than me, so she was 33 when she had me. And my dad must have been in his late 40s, I would say, at the time. Oh, wow. So there's really a quite an age difference between them. Yeah, there definitely was. When you tr invoke your earliest childhood memories, what do you remember about the love that emanated from each parent, clearly in its own way, I'm sure, maybe especially your mom? Well, you know, at my very earliest memories when I was just a kid, I just had this childlike look that I gave my mom with adoration because, you know, that she had that maternal bond with me. Of course, I loved her when I was little and, you know, I was dependent on her. But then after she was done her maternity leave and she had gone back to work, my dad had became a stay-at-home parent and watched over me for the most part. And so a lot of my early memories from probably like four or five years old when I was in kindergarten where I have a lot of negative memories from my childhood, unfortunately, of my dad speaking really poorly about my mom or, you know, explaining different ways which she didn't love us. So that was really conflicting as a child with those two different feelings kind of colliding with each other. You mean when you were really small, he would say negative things about your mom when they were still married? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember him getting me very worked up about if my mom took even one night a week to go and just de-stress because thinking, you know, she's a working mom, so she has an entire career to balance on top of taking care of a household. You know, it only makes sense for her to go and participate in her hobbies. So she enjoyed doing kung fu one night a week and going out to do that. It's her thing. But, you know, he would tell us that our mom is leaving us because she doesn't love us and she's going out for all these different reasons. And so, you know, he'd get my brother and I to cry and scream and chase after her. So there was a lot of emotions being invoked right there just for the sake of getting us upset. Oh my gosh. And, you know, and when you're little like that, it's super confusing because you, you take what the big people in your life and your parents in particular, you take what they tell you as true. And so the signs you were getting from your mom were not that she didn't love you. But if your dad was telling you this, you must have been just hugely confused. 
Yeah, I'm glad you said that, actually, because I think that sums up pretty much my entire childhood where, you know, you what you hear, you just take as the truth because you're so innocent and trusting of what the people in your life tell you. So you don't necessarily think critically about it. You just, you know, believe. And so a lot of lies about my mom were told to both my brother and I. And that really definitely shaped the next few years of our life. And it caused a lot of issues for sure. And so how long did this go on before they got divorced? And how did they tell you that they were getting divorced? And how did you take it? So they got divorced when I was in the sixth grade. I must have been about seven years old at the time. And what's interesting is there's two versions of the story that I've been told growing up. The one version of the story that my dad has always said was when they sat us down on the couch in our living room and told us they were getting a divorce. He said that my brother and I jumped up and said, we want to go live with dad. But my mom has told us that that never happened. And so that's kind of a testament to a lot of implanted memories, which are a type of lie that we were often told as kids from our dad. We're Different things that didn't happen were just implanted in our minds like they did. So then what was the aftermath of that? Did they split custody? Did they go straight to court? Was it really bitter from the start? At first, my mom had high hopes thinking, okay, this could be civil. She had um, primary custody of my brother and I, so we lived in her home and in her city with her. We went to school in that area and everything. But during different holidays and breaks, so, you know, summer vacation, Christmas break, spring break, those kinds of things, we would go and spend time with our dad in his town. And so originally my mom and I guess my brother and I as well assumed it would be, you know, a pretty normal divorce situation. Not like we'd been exposed to before. We didn't know what to expect. But nonetheless, we figured it would be civil but it definitely didn't end up going that way. Here's something that's traumatic, just kind of fundamentally as a given. And then on top of it, weird stuff starts to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think, like you said, to a certain extent, most divorces don't end up being completely neutral. So when I just tell people, oh, yeah, my dad really talked very poorly about my mom to start off. People say, well, yeah, what do you expect? That's just how it naturally is when people get divorced. But, you know, it goes a lot further than that. The first summer that my brother and I had spent at my dad's, we left loving our mom like we normally would. And we came back two very different kids. I, for one, was very bitter. And I recall when my mom was tucking me in that night, the night I came home, I, in a very rude tone, said to her, you're not my real mom, which coming from your seven-year-old who loved you so much before leaving, that's um, a really harsh thing to hear. It's a rude awakening. Oh my gosh. And so that's because your dad had drummed that into you. Do you even remember what he would say in that first summer? I mean, it was a long time ago, so I couldn't tell you any direct quotes. I don't think he specifically said she's not my real mom. I think 
for me, that was my wording of how can I tell her I hate her without telling her I hate her. But he had said a lot of really harsh things. He came up with a million reasons why living with her was so bad for our well-being in many, many ways, which all weren't true, of course. And do you remember when you were even saying that that to her, like that first night when she tucked you in and you said that, do you remember feeling just awful about it? Did you see the pain on her face? I, I don't have a mental image anymore, but I mean, that first summer, he had just really taken that time where our minds were still so malleable and so open to being exposed to whatever. We are just so innocent that you could just put any thoughts in our mind. So he really took those two months we spent with him and just brainwashed us. So when I told her those awful things, I really believed it to an extent. Yeah, because little kids, they believe what the grown-ups tell them because they're the grown-ups. And, and did your mom, would she then retaliate verbally about him? Or would, did she sort of understand what he was doing? Did they even communicate? Do you know? So, I mean, at the beginning, my mom was shocked at this behavior because how couldn't she be when her kids who had loved her and admired her and were so kind to her before suddenly come back as almost complete strangers? Of course, it was a shock to her, but she was never bitter. She was never rude. She never went down to his level by any means. She was just confused. And so she would have conversations with us and say, like, what the heck is this about? Right? Like, you know, she was trying to understand, but how much information can you really get from a kid who doesn't understand what's happening to them? Like, she had emailed back and forth with my dad about different issues, you know, trying to communicate like civil adults. But I don't think that really gave her any of the answers she was looking for. What do you think his goal was in all of this? You know, that's an interesting question, because to this day, I don't really know. But I would say, like, you know, my best guess is that this was his revenge. He got divorced and he didn't like that. And so he figured if he can't have her, then she can't have us. So this went on for years. You would go there for the summer. He would do his brainwashing thing. And then you would go home to your mother and hate her. Is that what happened? Yeah, absolutely. We spent years just saying really awful things to her. Every year getting worse and worse. And we're always parroting the things our dad told us. Oh, wow. And so it was building, building, building. And for your mom, it must have been just absolute torture. And in a way, hell for you, because you might have on some level. Or was it total Stockholm Syndrome, where you really believed, truly believed what your father was saying about your mom? Did you believe that? Well, I, there was definitely a layer of cognitive dissonance there. As a kid, it was so easy because, of course, when this started out, I was so young. I was really just straight out of kindergarten, even in kindergarten, some of us had started. So it was just so easy to believe this parental figure. So if I didn't think too hard about it, it was just like I believed it fully and like wholeheartedly. I just subscribed to it. But you know, as I got older, I knew if I dug deeper and thought about it critically, I might find some plot holes here. But I almost 
for a short period of time, I didn't even want to think about it in that way because I was scared about what I might uncover because when you subscribe to such a radical belief, I mean, you know, I was making some pretty harsh accusations here and saying some really terrible things. So if I all of a sudden turn around and say, huh, maybe that's wrong. Maybe my mom isn't so awful after all. Oh, well, I'll change my mind. It's a pretty big shift. And of course, I had already hurt my mom a lot by my behavior. And my mom doesn't blame me for it by any means. She knows it wasn't our fault and that it was our dad's doing. But still, the idea of questioning that and coming to that conclusion that maybe our father wasn't correct, that was scary. So yeah, and you must have felt in a way possessed in the grip of something you didn't quite understand. So in that, you know, I asked you earlier what your one word for your mom would be, and that's you speaking today, having come out the other side. What would that little girl have said? if she had been asked to describe her mother in one word? You know, I probably would have called her manipulative, which couldn't be further from the truth. But my dad just really took a lot of the negative things about himself and reflected them onto her. Mm. So Mm. he manipulated us a lot, but he always framed it like she was a manipulator. So tell me, did, did he eventually go for full custody? He wasn't quite able to because it all came to a boiling point when my brother was in middle school and my dad had concocted this plan where his friend who lived in our area would come take my brother out of his school, drive my brother to a lawyer's office, then my brother would apply to get a lawyer for himself for a middle schooler. And then he would fight the fight and somehow get custody and get to go live with my dad. And so when all of this started, my mom realized that my brother, who was a minor, was taken out of school by a stranger. That's kind of where this whole court case started out and legal proceedings started. Wow. Okay. So your mother got wind of something like this going on, then what did she do? So she immediately got a lawyer. They knew this was a huge red flag amongst the many before. And they decided, okay, this has to stop. He cannot just steal her kids like this. He can't just take them away. So yeah, they went to court and um, they definitely brought up the issues that had been going on before with the brainwashing and all the different manipulation that he had done. And a term had arised called parental alienation syndrome. So you heard this term, parental alienation. How did it all actually break open? So my mom had recorded some phone calls that we had had with our dad, and she got evidence of some of the really horrific things he was saying. And somewhere in the court case, it was enough evidence to kind of say, okay, yeah, he is taking part in parental alienation and brainwashing. And the judge had agreed to let us go to this program, which ended up being really beneficial. It was a kind of a retreat where we must have been there for about a week in a hotel room. And they showed us educational videos. We had some kind of group talk sessions, like lots of discussions, different activities that kind of 
helped us understand what was going on. So at first, we really just weren't buying it. We just really thought, okay, this is just like another like kooky therapist who's trying to tell us that our dad is evil. Like, all right, we've heard it before. We don't believe it. You're just all conspiring against him. But, you know, later into the sessions, our minds slowly started opening up and we started actually hearing what they were saying for the first time. And what, do you remember a breakthrough moment for you where it's like, oh my gosh, none of what he said was true or did, was it very gradual? It was a very slow process of opening my mind and allowing the information to sink in because before that point, I was just so closed off. I had my guard up. But then as soon as you let that guard down and you just listen, you just start questioning things and you start reflecting. And that was enough to get the gears turning. And eventually it added up. And was your mom there with you and your brother? Yeah. So my mom, my stepdad, my two stepbrothers, and my brother Mm. myself. Oh, wow. And how long did it last? This took about a week. And was your dad calling you the whole time? No. So actually, the really important part of this, which my mom worked very hard to make happen while she was in court to persuade the judges and everything, was a 90-day period of no contact with our father. So our cell phones, our technology, and our devices were all taken away, and he wasn't allowed to contact us. You know, if we spoke to him every single night, then he could just say, no, they're brainwashing you. No, they're lying. That's not true. That's actually what your mother does. So we needed to have that clarity and not have his voice whispering in our ear at all times. Wow. And was that the first time you'd heard the term parental alienation? Interestingly enough, he had brought it up a couple of years ago and used that term to describe our mom. So like I had mentioned before, oh my he goodness. definitely, <laughs> yeah, like he would just like take those things and reflect them on somebody else or deflect them, I should say. So he said that your mom was engaging in parental alienation in that she was trying to alienate you and your brother from him. Yeah, every year he had different labels and terms that he would use for her. So one year she's parental alienator, another year she's a control freak, another year she's a narcissist. So that was a term we had heard before, but only applied to our mom. It's common to say bad things about the other parent, but it's pretty uncommon to go to this length of brainwashing. Yeah, so this is yeah the first time I had heard it in a professional setting before, and After these sessions, I started to realize that, huh, maybe this is a little more extreme than it should be. Then you went home with your mom, both your brother and you. And were the two of you a really tight duo? Did you stick really close together? To an extent, yes, because we have been through it all. We've gone to hell and back together, really. Nobody else in the entire world will understand my unique experience other than him. So in that sense, at least, my brother gets me and I get him because, you know, it was him and I against the world for many years. So you went home with your your mother, your stepfather, your stepbrothers, and your brother. And then did you, what did you say to your father? Well, actually, 
we didn't speak to him because that period of 90 days, no contact was still ongoing. And I don't even remember what happened when that time had expired because I guess we just realized that we didn't need to talk to him because before it felt like it was so essential to speak to him every day. We would be on the phone with him at seven o'clock sharp every single day for about two hours, which is a lot of time. But yeah, and it just felt like he was a lifeline to us almost. We had to speak to him. He had to know everything going on in our lives. And also we had to listen to what he was telling us because he dictated our every thought and our every move. He was always in our heads and always telling us what to do. He had coached us on everything. And so it was kind of refreshing not speaking to him. So we just didn't go back in contact with him. So give me an example of his coaching. Like if your mom said to you while you were with her, what do you want for lunch? You would say, I would say, I want to go have lunch with my dad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because that's what you'd been programmed to say. Yes. Yes, it definitely was. Oh, have you spoken with him? No, I haven't. Wow. And has he tried to be in touch with you? No. The thing is, he did have the opportunity. The courts had said, you know, if you take this parenting course and you just get some therapy, you have the opportunity to have a relationship with your kids. But he just didn't want to because it was never about us. It was just about getting control of us. And hurting her. Absolutely. Have you had trouble learning to trust people and trust what they say? For sure. I mean, even now in my relationships, it can be difficult to trust people because once you get close with someone and you share that bond, like it's just you don't know how they could manipulate you or how they could get in your mind if they wanted to. So definitely something I've had to work on is opening myself up again to listening to people and being close with people because not everyone is out to get you and not everyone is attempting to hurt you and manipulate you like what happened in my childhood. And the reason for the restraining order? Well, frankly, I'm a bit scared of him. One of the phrases that I remember hearing him say so frequently throughout my childhood was, if anyone takes my kids, the last thing they'll see is my smiling face and a bullet coming towards them. So it's a little bit scary thinking about, well, my mom was the person responsible for getting us back. So, you know, is he going to track her down and shoot her? Does he want to kidnap me or my brother? Like, you don't really know what to expect because clearly he's not thinking rationally. Oh, wow. And then is part of the healing process forgiving yourself? Absolutely. I think that's one of the most important parts. And my mom has definitely been a big part of that because I feel guilty often when I think about it that I caused my mom a world of pain She had to deal with my constant torment, my hatred of her. So I feel terrible for what I've 
done to her, but she has always reminded me that it's not my fault. It's not my brother's fault. We had no control of this situation. We were children who were manipulated. We were kids used as puppets, and that's not on us. Tell me what it was like to then get close to her again. Oh, I mean, at first it was a really slow process because it was a habit to keep my distance from her and say awful things to her and not want anything to do with her. So it was a very slow progression. It was very gradual of spending time with her and opening up about things. So for us, it started out with just watching Netflix as a family. You didn't have to talk. You didn't have to sit too close to each other, but you were just within each other's company. And just spending that time with her really meant a lot. And over the years, we've gotten closer and closer. and We do more things together. And I'm really proud to say that I truly consider her my best friend. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, on that note, I, I want to thank you so much for talking to me about this. I mean, what do you say to people who might be listening to this? I would say to keep an open mind and think critically, no matter what you're told, because as a kid, it's easy to be manipulated. But as an adult, you still have the opportunity to get things twisted and it's always important to reflect and to think about your own beliefs on things and think for yourself. Oh, wow. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for coming on to Our Mothers Ourselves to talk to me about this. And best of luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's it this week for Our Mothers Ourselves. Our theme music was composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Ilana Nevins does our social media, and Claire Trageser is the show's producer. Special thanks to Barbara Bradley Haggerty for putting us in touch with Olivia. Join us on Father's Day when Katie Semro interviews Isabella DiPietro about her father, Luca DiPietro, who knows how to create community around food and put that skill to good use during the pandemic. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredex Studios in San Francisco, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Oh,